Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, we're in week six of the study that we've been in in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah was a man of vision. That's what we've seen. In Nehemiah chapter one, God had put a burden on his heart when he heard about the devastation going on back in the, the city of his ancestors, the city of Jerusalem. The walls have been broken down, the gates burned with fire. God put it in his heart to do something about it, then opened up the door. And he's been leading them in this rebuilding process. God had opened up that door, put a vision inside of him and through perseverance and wisdom and sacrifice Nehemiah rallied and inspired the people and there were two great tragedies that I find in life two great tragedies that I see in life and and uh, one of them we're going to hit on today Nehemiah was a man of vision but I think the first tragedy that we see is that many people many people walk through life without a vision they don't have a vision for their life they don't have a vision for their family they don't know what God has called them to do and, uh, and Proverbs says this, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. A lot of people, their personal vision statement is, how can I just make it through the day? I just want to make it through the day. In fact, many people live like a ping pong or like a, a, a um, oh, not a ping pong ball. Um, you know, one of those where you pull it back and what is that called? Pinball? Pinball, is that what it is? Yes, I know. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about, where you just bounce around different events, different circumstances, different things, and your life just bounces and bounces and bounces and bounces and bounces. That's how many people want to live their, their lives. And, uh, and again, they'd never ask, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? A visionless life. Many people live a visionless life, and I, I think that that's a tragedy. I think that, that that is something that's a tragedy, because I believe that God has a vision, has a purpose and a plan for every person's life. And if you look at anybody in the Bible who was used by God, you see at some point in their life, they cried out to God, God put a vision in their heart and in their life. Somebody said that life is like a coin. We get to spend it any way we like, but we only get to spend it once. So how are you spending your life? How are you spending your life? Are you going to say, Lord, I served you with purpose. I discovered what your purpose is. And I, 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 I ran my race. I finished my race. I fought the good fight. I think that's the first tragedy. I think the second tragedy, though, is equally devastating and tragic. And that is some people begin to discover the vision that God has put in their life. But then somewhere along the line, they get distracted and they never finish what God has put in their heart to do. How many know that in life, it's easy to get distracted? There are some who discover, this is how God made me. This is the passion he's put in my heart. This is what I want to do. And then all of a sudden, life begins to take over and, 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 and we get distracted from the vision. Life, the daily grind, is hard on vision. Life is full of distractions and visions are lost. Oftentimes, I think the real tragedy with distraction is, is that sometimes we end up uh, moving away from the purpose to which God called us. Think about it in terms of, of marriage. Think about it in terms of marriage. I'm excited this year, Jamie and I are celebrating 25 years of marriage. We'll celebrate that in June. And that's an exciting thing, right? You've had to, you have to, you have to fight to get there, right? 
It's effort. But I think sometimes along the way, you, you, you might be dating or engaged and you have a vision. This is what our relationship is going to be. This is where we're going to end up. This is what's going to happen. But, but I think somewhere along the line, all of a sudden, we, we get married and, and we make that commitment. And then all of a sudden, we're getting into our career and, and then our families and then our hobbies. And this comes up and that opportunity comes up. And we begin to get distracted from the vision that God had for our marriage right? I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, you, 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 you start, uh, this, this, this is a good opportunity. I need to take this. And so you take that opportunity and you start to invest time in that. And then all of a sudden the kids come along and pretty soon their schedules fill up and you're, you're running them here and running them there and running them here and running them there. But you, you lose sight of each other and you end up going, what happened to our marriage? Right? What happened? Distractions. Distractions. I think one of the greatest tragedies is that oftentimes God puts something in our heart and we get distracted. The bills come, vision is later. It's easy to live moment by moment, sacrificing what is important later on for what we are reacting to in the moment and today. And distractions can kill vision and they can keep the work from being completed. Today, what I want to look at as we dive into Nehemiah chapter 6 is we're going to find that, that Nehemiah and, and, and those working on the wall were close. It wasn't completed yet, but there was, it, 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 it was getting close. And, 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 and as, as they started to get close, there was all of a sudden some distractions that started to come up. Various distractions that tried to keep them from finishing well, finishing the vision that God had put in Nehemiah's heart. Nehemiah 6.1 says this, I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates. So as we've seen in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah had to stand up against violent threats. He had to stand up uh, uh, against conflict that came without. And last week we talked about some internal conflict that they had to work through. And, and so they've worked through all of those things. They've repaired all the breaches in the wall, but they hadn't set up the gates yet. That'd be like building your house, but not putting a front door on it, right? The enemy had not given up though. And Nehemiah was in a dangerous time. The novelty of being almost completed, but almost was not completed. And when you're almost there, but it's not completed, it's easy to find yourself getting distracted and letting your guard down. And Nehemiah experienced, or is about to, as we'll see, experienced three distractions that could have literally killed his vision and stopped the work. What's the first distraction that Nehemiah experienced? I want to call it opportunities. Opportunities. Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 to 4. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not yet set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at I don't know, in the plain of Ono. I have no idea how to say that word. Aren't you glad we don't live in Hakeprefrim? You know, I can say Painesville, right? My goodness. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? 
And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. What's going on here? I think it's obvious that Nehemiah's enemies are out to harm him. They haven't, they haven't stopped. They're out to harm him. Yet, yet they, they, they kind of clothe it in this idea of, hey, let's get together. Let's meet together. Let's try to work things out. You know what I'm talking about? And they had been a thorn in his side. They had been part of the opposition from the beginning and even before Nehemiah came. And yet it didn't stop them from trying to keep him from completing the wall. The wall was almost finished. The gates just needed to be set in place. And, and again, that's where they were. The plain of Ono, if you look at a map, was about 20 miles uh, <coughs> from Jerusalem. And it actually happened to be closer to where Sanballat in Samaria, where he, he ruled over, where he was at, than it was to Jerusalem. You might be, if you're an optimist, you might be someone who is thinking to themselves, well, why not, right? I mean, this is an opportunity. If we're going to be neighbors and we're going to work together, there's been opposition. We're almost done. We're almost completing the wall. Why not meet together and see if we can have a peace conference and, and bring some peace to this area and work out our differences, right? I mean, after all, it would have given Nehemiah maybe an opportunity to be able to gloat and say, you tried to stop us and look, we're almost done. Ha 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 ha. Right? It's like when you're watching a TV show and you can see the villains in the background and you know what they're planning and scheming. Oh, let's get them. Let's trap them. Let's get them to meet. And the other person's out here and, and you go, no, don't go there. Don't go there. It's danger. It's danger. You know what's coming, Right? And that's kind of what they were kind of, kind of, kind of trying to set up an, an opportunity. And I think every day you and I in this culture that we have face unimaginable opportunities. There is more opportunities, I think, than any time in history. We have more entertainment. We have more travel. We have more business. We have more career, more investment opportunities than in any previous era. And those opportunities are not all bad. There's, there's not evil to them. They're not bad things. But sometimes even the good opportunities can distract us from the vision that God has put in our hearts or the purpose that God has for our lives. Opportunities can kill vision. We can sacrifice God's vision for a number of opportunities that may come our way. How many know that Satan still uses innocent opportunities to distract his people? He does every day, just innocent to lure us into that trap. And friends, he's not playing games. First Peter 5, 8 says that he wants to devour you. Repeatedly over and over and over again, he presents various opportunities. Various opportunities that come to try to trap us. I've seen it when you've got a, a single person, they're trying to live their life for Jesus. And at the same time, they're looking at maybe I want to get married. And all of a sudden they can't seem to meet anybody that, that is a believer, but an unbeliever comes along and man, they're always a nice person, right? They don't maybe share the same faith or the same values, but man, they're a nice person and boy, they, they like me and maybe God's bringing them along so that I can evangelize them and I'll bring them to church with me. And maybe they come a little bit and they say, oh, it's, yes, this is what I want. Oh, it's so good. But they don't really, they don't really buy in. And then all of a sudden you find that that person who was living for the Lord and wanting to serve the Lord starts to drift away from the Lord because of that unequally yoked relationship. It's a dangerous trap, isn't it? It's quiet in here because some of you know what I'm talking about. 
seemingly good things, if we're not careful, can easily distract us from what God is doing or wants to do or continue to do in our lives or even in our ministry. There was a missionary to China whose abilities were so outstanding that there was an American company that wanted to hire him. They offered him an attractive job with a salary to match, but, but he turned it down. And he told them, you know what? God has sent me as a missionary to China, and, and, and that's what I'm going to do. And he thought that would end the matter, but they continued again. And this time they offered to increase the salary, and he once again turned it down. And then they came back, and they said, well, we're going to double that financial package because we really want you. Finally, finally, he came to himself, and he, and he said to them, he said this, listen, it's not the salary. It's not your salary that's too little. It's that your job is too small. When you begin to understand the purpose that God has for your life and you begin to look, you begin to, to, to go after that purpose and live for that purpose, you find that no matter what else you've got to say, that pales into comparison to, to what God has called me to. That, that, that might be a good opportunity, but it's not the best opportunity that God has for my life. Four times the enemy was relentless. Four times he kept coming. He kept coming. He kept coming. He kept coming. And it took discernment in Nehemiah for him to be able to respond like this in verse three. I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I am doing a great work. I think somebody in here needs to underline that. I am doing a great work. Listen, that might be a, an opportunity, but it's not. It's a distraction to what God has called me to do. You need discernment to discern through the opportunities that come your way so that you are not distracted away from what God has called you to do. There are good distractions that can sometimes come up opportunities that can maybe keep us out and working hard and, and, and six nights a week and oh, but this is a good opportunity. This is a good opportunity. Meanwhile, you neglect your family or you neglect your personal relationship with the Lord. You have no time to spend with Jesus. To build a life of purpose, sometimes we have to learn to say no to good things so that we can embrace the better things. That's what happens when you live your life on purpose. Distraction is opportunities. And Satan loves to distract us by appealing to those things that maybe kind of trigger our heart a little bit. And oh, but that's such a good thing. Oh, but that's such a good opportunity. Well, Nehemiah stood firm in this first distraction. But as we're going to see, a second distraction came. And that second distraction was a distraction of criticism. Criticism. After the four times of the relentless invitations, a fifth communication came along and with it a scathing criticism. Let's read it. Nehemiah 6, 5 to 7. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it. You know, if Geshem says it, it's got to be true. Right? Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel 
And that is why you are rebuilding the wall. In other words, you don't have good intentions. There are secret motives and we have sniffed it out. And the nations know. And Geshem said it's true too. Right? And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You see, you were just a cupbearer. You were secret service with Artaxerxes and you tricked him into thinking that you had good intentions, but no, 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 no. He puts you in position to be governor, but you're saying, oh no, now I'm going to be Israel's king and we're going to rebel. And you've set up prophets to proclaim uh, concerning you in Jerusalem. That's what would happen in Israel when there would be a, a king. There was often an announcement by a prophet. You might remember that when Saul first became king, it was Samuel who anointed him to be king as a, as a prophet. And then later on, the same thing happened with David. And you would see in certain situations that when someone was getting ready to take over, as such was Absalom, David's son, against him, that he gathered a prophet together with him and all of the people. And they began to announce as king. King. And so they're, they're trying to drum all of this up. You, you have done this. You want to be king. You're rebelling. That's why you're doing this. And we know it, uh, that there's a king in Judah. And now that the king, meaning Artaxerxes, will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. In other words, we're going to smear your name. We're going to, to, to share lies about you. If you don't come and meet with us, this is what's going to happen. See the coercion and the lies? And Nehemiah had done everything with integrity up to this point. I mean, we'd seen that. Nehemiah didn't even, didn't even take food from the taxes and any of that stuff so that he could feed everybody who was in his house and he could make sure that he was sacrificing for this project. Did it out of his own pocket, but now his enemies are twisting things and they're sharing lies. Maybe you've seen the, the, the Far Side cartoon by Gary Larson. We're going to put it up here. It shows two deer standing, and one of them has a, has a target on his chest. And uh, the other guy says, bummer of a birthmark, Ernie. Right? Can I, can I just tell you that when you're a believer and you are living for the purpose in which God has, has called you to, there will be a target on your back. There will be people who will come after you. The enemy wants to come after you. And oftentimes, criticism is one of the marks. Criticism is one of the things that happen. The enemy uses these schemes to try to sabotage your walk with the Lord and the plan that God has for your life. In those days, letters were, 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 were made of papyrus or, letter and, letter, or, or papyrus or leather, and they were usually rolled up, and, uh, and then they were sealed with, with this, this wax. So they'd be rolled up, they'd be sealed with wax with a seal over it, and so the messenger who would take it would take this sealed letter. But it says here that instead of a sealed letter, verse 5 says, Sanballat purposely neglected to seal it. In other words, he allowed it to be open so that the messenger could open it up and gossip and share it with whoever he wants. Ooh, look at this. Oh, look at these claims against Nehemiah. Nehemiah is trying to rebel against the Lord or, or, or against the king. Nehemiah, he doesn't have good intentions so that everybody could read it. It'd kind of be like today, uh, you know, um, somebody posting it on Facebook, right? Social media is a great place to post criticisms because what you read on Facebook is believable, Right? Everybody ought to believe it. They've got all of it, right? Or Twitter or somewhere else, or people post YouTube's on, uh, YouTube videos and rant about it, and people share it, and, and it's meant to be a smear campaign. We see it in politics today. 
where they take par- partial clips and partial words and, and they all kinds of things and, and they put it out that we're getting ready for election season. Can you just wait for all of the ads that are going to try to persuade you to believe certain things about certain people? And that's what was happening. This was a, a smear campaign. This was an effort to be able to disgrace Nehemiah's name. And although there was no truth to the claims, sometimes perception for people is reality. And this had become a, a potential distraction, a big distraction for Nehemiah that might have impacted the completing of the wall. That was the intention. The contents of the open letter were dangerous and, and there was threats in terms of maybe the king would think that, that Nehemiah is creating treason. And when then those days, whenever there was treason, it would kind of be like off with your head. You know what I'm talking about? And man, they validate it by saying, and Geshem said it's true. Geshem says it's true, so it must be true. If you read it on Facebook or get a YouTube video, it must be true, right? They portray Nehemiah as if he is challenging the king. In fact, I love how author Daniel, or Donald, excuse me, Donald Campbell in his book, Nehemiah, the man in charge, he had a fun way to kind of illustrate what was going on. If, if this was happening today, this is how it might appear in the news. Here's the headline, Nehemiah says no to Ono. <laughs> Samaritan officials have disclosed that Nehemiah, governor of Judah, has again turned down the offer of Governor Sambalot of Samaria to meet at one of the villages in Ono on the Judah-Samaria border. The proposed conference would include the big four in the area, Geshem, the leader of the Arabs, Tobiah, the leader of the Ammonites, and Sanballat and Nehemiah. Sanballat issued a statement today in which he sharply criticized Nehemiah for his, refu- refuse, uh, his repeated refusals to cooperate. He reports that the purpose of such a meeting would be to work a formula of lasting peace in the region. The Samaritan leader said in, the evident frust- said in evident frustration, this is the fourth time Nehemiah has turned down my invitation to meet and discuss our mutual concerns. These repeated refusals mean that the responsibility for increasing tensions and any violence that may result rests solely upon Jerusalem. I like that, right? I mean, I imagine if the news, that's an open letter of criticism saying Nehemiah is not cooperating with us. But Nehemiah was sniffing it out. This was a distraction. This was a distraction. This was simply to keep them from completing the wall. And he responded this way to the criticism in verses 8 and 9. Then I said to him, saying, no such thing that you say has been done. For you're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, O God, strengthen my hands. Instead of chasing rumors, Nehemiah turned his attention to the Lord. And he said, I'm just simply going to say there is no truth in what you have to say. And I'm not going to allow myself to be distracted by your criticism. Lord, I turn to you. Strengthen my hands. That's the way Nehemiah responded. Lord, strengthen my hands. You've called called us to a work. We've been doing that work. There's no validity to these criticisms. And so we're going to just simply say, these criticisms are not valid. We're not fear. We will not fear. Lord, strengthen us that we might continue the work. General MacArthur and Winston Churchill 
both said this, we do not answer criticism, we do not respond to slander, we do not respond to accusation. If we did, it would take all our time just fighting attacks. Henry Ward Beecher said this, life would be a flea, a virtual flea hunt if a man was required to run down every innuendo and insinuation about him and the misrepresentations that are uttered against him. Friends, if you're going to live for Christ, criticism is going to come. If you're going to live for Christ, the attacks of the enemy, the accuser, is going to come. There will be people who will accuse you of all kinds of things. When you start to live for the Lord, if you've got family members that don't know Jesus, you will find yourself with people saying, oh, you just think you're better than everybody else. You just think you're better. You just think you're more holy. Criticism comes. When you're trying to follow the purpose and plan that God has put in your heart, there are those that will come and they will seek to speak against you. And you can fight every criticism. You can start responding to everything. But you need to know that when that starts to get inside your heart and your spirit, that becomes a distraction to what God wants to do in your life. Like Nehemiah, he simply said, it's not true. Then he lifted up a prayer, Lord, strengthen my hands. And they continued the work on the wall. Friends, nothing attracts critics like vision. If you are passionate about something, there will always be people that will question your motives or your enthusiasm. They'll misunderstand your intent. Uh, don't be distracted. Don't let, don't let the critics steal the vision that God has put in your heart. Just pour it out to the Father. Lord, I turn to you. Strengthen my hands. You know, the best way to silence critics is when you complete it. When you actually complete what God has put in your heart to do. When, you, when you're living in such a way that, that, that you, you complete it. In verse 16, it says that the enemies lost confidence when the wall was completed. The doors were in place. There will come a day when your vision does become a reality. And at that moment, the enemies will have a hard time explaining what happened. And, and that criticism Will, will be done. Don't let criticism distract you. Take it to God and let him work and partner with you so that you can complete the work. Number three is fear. The third distraction is fear. Fear is always one of those things. And so when that didn't work, when the open letter didn't work, when the invitations to come didn't work, there was a new tactic. Nehemiah 6, 10 to 13. <clears throat> now, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should a man such as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in and I will. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so that he could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Here the enemy combines deception with intimidation and fear. It was actually done by someone who people considered to be a prophet. He was a prophet named Shemaiah, and he was confined to his home. And we don't know what had happened, if he was ill, and that's why he was at home. Or maybe he was doing one of those prophetic things that prophets sometimes do, where they, they illustrate something that's happening, and maybe he was hiding out in his home for that reason. We don't know. But outwardly, 
He seemed like he had a word from the Lord. He was out to protect Nehemiah. The open letter. There are people coming against you. They want to kill you. Come with me. Let's go into the temple of the Lord. Let's hide ourselves out. And, and it just seemed like, oh man, outwardly he had good intentions. But later on we find in verse 12 that he actually had been influenced and hired by Sanballat and Tobiah. In fact, later on in verse 14, he wasn't the only prophet. Noadiah is also mentioned as well uh, there. And again, let's meet in the temple. Let's, let's close the doors. Is there anything wrong with that? If you feel like you're afraid, where better to go than the house of God, than the temple, right? And they add it for they're coming to kill you and they want to kill you at night. A fabricated story about a plot on Nehemiah's life with the intention of intimidating him with fear, causing him to be afraid and respond in a way that as we read towards the end would have compromised Nehemiah's integrity and would have, would have hurt his name as a leader. Here was a man claiming to have a word from the Lord. Hide in the temple. The enemy's gonna, gonna, gonna get you. It was deception clothed in religious concern. That's hard to discern, isn't it? That's hard to sniff out, isn't it? When all of a sudden it's clothed in kind of a religious concern. The problem was, is that in that day and age, only the priests were allowed to go into that part of the temple. The kings were not allowed to go into that part of the temple. That was an area that was holy, that only the priests were able to go. And in that way, if Nehemiah would have went in, it would have discredited him among his Jewish brothers and sisters. There was an exception to this rule, however. According to the law, there were certain circumstances where a Jew who was not a priest could enter into the temple for refuge. We find it in Numbers chapter 35, 6 to 15. I'm not going to read all of it, but here's the summary of it. If you accidentally killed somebody in this day and age, their relative was, was someone who could come after you and kill you eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They could come after and kill you because you killed their relative. And so here's what the law said to do. If you had done it unintentionally, there was no motive behind it. It was an accident. And there's some Somebody was pursuing your life. You could flee to what they called a city of refuge. And you could go into the temple and you could grab a hold of the horns of the altar. And in that moment, you could be protected until a judge could hear it and be able to weigh out what happened. And so by, by Nehemiah, if he would have gone in, number one, he hadn't killed anybody. It didn't fit this, this way. But if he had gone in, it would have given an indication that perhaps there might be truth to the rumors and the criticism that had come. Maybe there was some validity to it. And either way, Nehemiah was running and intimidated in fear, which would have spread fear through everybody that he was leading. It would have hurt his reputation as a leader and word would have gone, gone out that maybe he was hiding from a would-be assassin. And Nehemiah flatly refused to be distracted by fear. Here's Nehemiah 6.11 again. Should such a man as I run away and what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. You see, Nehemiah acts with courage. He refuses to bow to fear. And again, he recognizes this is not a word from the Lord. Friends, can I tell you that there are times where there will be, there will be distractions that come and they are clothed in a, in a religious lace where somebody says, 
I have a word of the Lord for you. I have a word for your life. This is what God wants to do. Now, sometimes, sometimes there you can, you can begin to discern and say that person has heard from the Lord when it is a witness to something that God has spoken to you and something that is consistent with his word. But there are also folks, there are times where there are people that will say and speak into your life and say, this is what God has for you. This is what you need to do. This is the direction you need to take. And you need to be careful if it is not something that through prayer and private prayer that God has put in your heart or something that violates God's word. If that's the case, it is not a word from the Lord and it is a distraction from the purpose and plan that God does have for your life. You need to be sensitive and discerning when somebody says, I have a word of the Lord for you. You need to know the character of that person and you need to know that you yourself also have heard from the Lord and that it is in alignment with God's word. I know that's not always popular. But, we, but in following God, you have to have courage. Over and over again in Scripture, like with Joshua, when God had called Joshua and spoken to him, he said to him, do not be afraid in Joshua 1.9. He says, I, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Paul, Paul was encouraging Timothy who was facing same kinds of, in a different way, but facing intimidation and fear when he was leading. And he said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Friends, don't get distracted. Don't let the opportunities, even though they might be good, distract you from what God is calling you to do. Don't allow criticism to get in your heart and discourage you and distract you from what God is doing and working in your life. And again, don't let fear get you off track. Don't allow fear to get you off track with what God is doing in your life. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus, who is the author, Hebrews says, and the finisher of our faith. The result of Nehemiah's persistence through distractions can be found in Nehemiah 6, 15 and 16. Worship team, will you come? So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in, the 50, in 52 days. The wall was finished in the 25th day of the month in 52 days. And then here it is. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. There's something critical here. They, they were able to complete the wall in 52 days. They were able to, to get the gates in place. They were able to finish the work. But note how Nehemiah does, says this. They noticed that it was with the help of our God. Listen, you are not going to be able to walk out the purpose and plan that God has for your life without his help, without his spirit. You need the spirit of the Lord. You need the help of the Lord. You cannot do it on your own and in your own strength. Why? Because there will be opposition. Because there will be distractions. Because there will be criticism. Because there will be intimidation and fear. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Strengthen our hands, O Lord, that we might finish the work that you have called us to do. Strengthen our hands, O God, that we might finish 
the work. Why? Because we are doing a good work. We are doing a good work. And we will not be distracted by the enemy. We'll not be distracted by the good opportunities that are not the God opportunities. And we will not be distracted by the criticism that comes and the lies that are spoken. And we will not get distracted when we start to feel like there is fear and intimidation. Why? Because it is a work of the Lord. It is not our work, but it's his work. And he is the one who will bring it to completion. Amen. He'll bring it to completion. So what about you? Do you have a vision for your life? Has God put a vision in your heart? Is there a vision for your life? Do you have a, a vision for your family? Do you have a vision for your marriage? Do you, do you have a vision that God has put in your heart to serve him in ministry? Something that God has put in your heart. Is there a purpose and a plan that you are living for in your life? If not, that's what you need to pray into today. God, give me a vision for my life. Give me a vision for my life. I don't want like be like a pinball machine. There it is. I remember it this time. Bouncing all around by every circumstance and every whim and everything that happens. I want to live purposely for you. Put a vision in my heart like you did Nehemiah. But secondly, if God has put a vision in your heart, have you become distracted? Maybe you filled your schedule with so many good opportunities that you're finding it difficult to live for the way that the Lord wants you to live. You've gotten yourself off track because you've said yes to things that are not necessarily bad. They're just not the purpose and plan that God really has for your life. And you've allowed yourself to get distracted. Some of you have gotten discouraged because you've been criticized and you can't make it and you're not good enough. And you've, it's recalled some things in you and, and created fear in you. And you're off track. You're afraid. But you know, as I'm sharing, the Holy Spirit is stirring in you. This is the call. This is what I have. This is what I put in, in your heart to do. Do you have a vision for your life? And are you living for that vision or have you gotten distracted? Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and... I know we didn't talk a whole lot about salvation, but a, a vision from the Lord really begins with a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you say, you know, I've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. I've never, I can't say that I have put my faith in him, that, that, I'm, that I'm right with the Lord, that my sins are forgiven and that I'm right with the Lord. If you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, I need to get right with Jesus. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I need his grace in my life. Will you just slip up your hand this morning? I need Jesus. I need Jesus. If I want to have a vision for my life, I need Jesus. I'm bouncing around like a ping pong ball, but I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Secondly, if you're here this morning and maybe you'd say, you know, pastor, I need a vision for my life. I, I, I know the Lord, but I haven't really prayed in. I've just been kind of living day to day, but I haven't really gotten a vision for my life. I, I haven't really gotten something that God has put in my heart. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? God, you want God to put a vision in your heart. You say, God, I need to know my purpose. I need to know my purpose. I need you to put a vision in my heart today. Thank you, Jesus. And then if you've been distracted and you say, uh, Pastor, will you just pray for me? I, there's some areas I've gotten off track. I know I've gotten distracted. I haven't been pursuing 
what God has put in my heart. Will you just slip up your hand, Pastor? I respond. I've gotten distracted. Will you pray for me that I'll be able to live as God desires me to live? Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you today. And Lord, we just come to you right now and we pray that you would stir in us a vision for our lives. You'd put inside of us, God, a passion. You you give us a heart for something that you want us to lead. You want us to to serve. You, you, You have put this in our heart. Lord, I just pray that against distractions, I pray, Jesus, that you will just begin to keep us focused, that we'll be able to say, no, the mission is greater than the distractions, and that mission will give us courage to pursue it no matter what, that we will keep our eyes fixed on you and allow you to do the work in our lives. Father, we thank you and bless you today and give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.